0: Good afternoon and welcome to Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. As always, any of the opinions that are offered on this show are not those of Howard County Community College, its faculty, staff, and employees. And insofar as our audience divines any legal wisdom from this show, it is not intended to be legal advice for specific legal situations. If you need legal help, it is imperative that you speak to a lawyer and acquaint them with all of the facts so you can get the best legal advice possible. Our guest today is C. Justin Brown, a prominent criminal defense lawyer in Baltimore, Maryland, an alumnus of the Gilman School, Cornell, and the University of Maryland Law School, and a man with a fascinating background. So a couple questions. Do you have the slightest idea why defense counsel did not call this witness at the trial?
1: Yes. I don't know definitively because that that lawyer is Christina Gutierrez, and she passed away before I ever became involved in the case. But, um, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about her. I've spoken to her family members and her friends and other attorneys who worked with her and who worked very closely with her. And, you know, around the time of the Syed trial, she was sick. She had MS and, and very various other physical ailments. So her health was not good, whereas she had once been a leading member of the criminal defense bar. Absolutely. You know, she, she she wasn't the same lawyer that she previously had been. Sure. And she, I think, was a little bit overburdened with her cases. I, I think she was struggling to manage her firm, struggling to manage this very complicated case and many other very complicated, serious cases that she had at the same time. And I, I think... And I have always thought that the, the alibi witness slipped through the cracks, that, okay. that she just overlooked it. She was focused on one type of, of trial defense, you know, where you just kind of go out there and, and beat up the state's witnesses through cross-examination. And um, she neglected to investigate and look into um, this alibi, which, which really would have been consistent with her defense. And in my view, and in some judges' view, would have been enough to affect the outcome of the case.
0: Well, it seems inconceivable to me that you have an alibi witness who places the defendant in her presence at the time that the state is arguing the murder took place, and that that doesn't affect the outcome of the case.
1: Right. It is inconceivable to me as well. There's actually, there's a ton of case law on this. In the state of Maryland, in other states around the country, in federal circuits, and every other court has said that under these circumstances, when you have an alibi witness who is not investigated and not used at trial, the failure to investigate that alibi witness does affect the outcome of the case and is, is enough to earn or to at least grant a new trial. There's no case that says otherwise until the Maryland Court of Appeals has now said that it doesn't necessarily prejudice the outcome of the trial. So, um, you know, when the court made that ruling less than a year ago, it was absolutely stunning to me and to other people who, who had studied this issue as to how they could reach that conclusion.
0: We recently had the privilege of having one of the judges on the Court of Appeals here on the show, Judge Michelle Hotton, who wrote a dissent from that case. In other words, she did not agree with that outcome. And I think it's fair to say that she was equally surprised that the absence of a clear-cut alibi witness wasn't prejudicial.
1: Right, yeah. I mean, Judge Hotton wrote a powerful dissent in that case and, you know, laid out some of the arguments we're now, we are now in the process of making to the Supreme Court. The case is up on a petition for writ of certiorari to um, to the Supreme Court, and, you know, we're, we're waiting on that. But, um, yeah, you know, we we felt that the, the law was on our side, the facts were on our side, and um, somehow the Court of Appeals ruled against us. And, you know, that that's, To to say that it's frustrating is an understatement, and you know, it's to me, it's demoralizing, and it, you know, it it changes the way that I look at our our judicial system. I find it very perplexing. Maybe someday, as I become wiser, I'll understand it better, (laughs) but I'm not there yet.
0: These are perplexing times in the law. Yep. Yep. Just so I don't want to get too inside baseball with this, but um, there were other grounds. Essentially, what happened was there was an effort to get a new trial, also associated with the the cell tower data. Is that correct?
1: Yes, um, that that is correct. And so the and, and it, it was, I think, a surprise to many people that. So initially, we did win the new trial, and that was after we we lost the first post-conviction. We went up to the Court of Special Appeals. They remanded the case back down to the trial court for another evidentiary hearing.
0: Could could I stop you for one sec? Because I do try and make this comprehensible to the students here. And so right. essentially what you're saying is he gets convicted low these many years ago and some new grounds come up and you actually go to the trial court first or do you go to the appellate courts first or or how did this work procedurally?
1: Right. So, person gets convicted, then they ha- they have a an appeal and they lose their appeal. So the the third major phase of a case of a criminal case is a post conviction where you can bring in new evidence and, and find new error from the proceedings. So we, we first had our post-conviction, and, and the first time we lost it. And, and once we had lost that, you know, we, we were done. I mean, we didn't have a chance. And that, it was in that desperate state of affairs that we agreed to participate with, with Serial and, you know, do all this, you know, these publicity campaigns. And, you know, that was largely successful because we went up on appeal and we we gathered new information that wouldn't have been available but for the podcast. And that went up through the Maryland courts. And then the courts eventually said, you know what? You can reopen your post-conviction proceeding. You can go back down to the court that handled the initial post-conviction proceeding and introduce new evidence. So we did that. And we won. And Judge Welch, the Baltimore City Circuit Court judge, granted us a new trial. And then in turn, what happened was the state appealed that. And they said, you know, we we disagree. We don't think Judge Welch properly uh, granted that new trial. So they appealed and we kind of had to defend Judge Welch's opinion And first we did so at the Court of Special Appeals, and we succeeded there. And the Court of Special Appeals agreed with us that Syed deserved a new trial. But then there's a second appeal that the state was allowed to do to the highest court in Maryland, and that's the court that disagreed with us and reversed everything.
0: So just, Um, again, having recently had a judge from the Court of Special Appeals and a judge from the Court of Appeals on the show— the Court of Appeals doesn't just take every appeal. They have to be petitioned for writ of certiorari, such as you described as being done to right. the United States Supreme Court. So obviously there was some issue of importance to the Court of Appeals that was inherent in the Court of Special Appeals decision. Do you have a sense of what that was?
1: Well, you know, we when the, when the state of Maryland sought cert, um, we opposed that because we didn't think there was a cert-worthy issue. We didn't think there was an issue that had broad legal import and and that would come up in future cases. In our view, this was a fact-driven case. You know, we're talking about one specific alibi witness and how that alibi witness fit in with the specific facts of this case. The law, as I said before, the law was all settled on this. Every court that had ever considered this issue had found that it merited a new trial. So we argue to the the Court of Appeals, don't take this case. It, there, there's nothing there. This is all settled law. But unfortunately, you know, when the state of Maryland is the party that's seeking cert, you know, they're, they're the state of, of Maryland. And... Um, I think they get a little bit of extra consideration going up. I mean, statistically, if it's the state of Maryland that's seeking cert, there's a higher probability that it will be granted. And, um, you know, particularly a case that by this point had become famous and was, you know, being covered by national press and international press, you know,
0: it had become a huge case
1: and it had become a hugely important case and the Court of Appeals took it.
0: So they gave deference to the state. Interestingly, our guest next week is the Attorney General of the State of Maryland, Brian Frosch. I, he may be reticent about answering questions about this, but I will inevitably pose at least a few to see why it was of such importance to them.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you, you can imagine the, the state, um, generally, they, they prosecute every criminal case in the state of Maryland. So when they say that this case is is important, you know, they they have some authority behind that. Sure. Can, can um, it's you very different.
0: Can you say what essentially in in layman's terms what argument they made that this was so important?
1: Um, you know, that well <clears throat> this is sort of another irony of this um, um, because of your your listeners who um, I'm trying not to get too technical but
0: sure.
1: really they they weren't even focused on the issue that eventually reversed um, the, the ruling and took away the new trial from us um, the the state was arguing that essentially it was it was reasonable for the defense attorney, not to investigate the alibi witness. And the state was saying that's really important because um, if if this ruling stands, it's going to force defense attorneys to do all kinds of crazy things, um, you know, just so that they won't, at a future proceeding, be found to be incompetent. Sure. Um, So they they were focused on the, you know, there's a two-pronged test and the state was focused on the first prong of kind of what constitutes deficient performance by an attorney. Um, so that was the basis of their cert petition. They, they said that that's a really important question. You know, we have to define um, what what defense attorneys have to do and what they don't have to do. And, you know, they, they were arguing on those lines. Ironically, um, and, and that was the center of the dispute, The the second part to that analysis, the prejudice analysis, everyone agreed that it was prejudice. There there wasn't really a dispute over that. It it wasn't really something that was contested. So everyone was focused on deficiency. But then, lo and behold, you know, the opinion comes out and they reverse on the grounds of um, the the prejudice analysis. So... um, (laughs) You know, to talk about the, the state's reasons for, for seeking cert, um, you know, that successfully got them into court, but at the end of the day, um, it, it wasn't what, uh, you know, got them the ruling that they wanted.
0: How very bizarre. Yep. So was there resistance in his family to participating in the podcast?
1: There was some apprehension but but again, you, you have to remember at the time at the time when the podcast was done, um, you know, I, I, I always think of it as they were kind of nailing the final nail in his coffin. Sure. Um we we had you know, we had lost the post conviction hearing. We were doing a long shot appeal and um we literally had nothing to do nothing to lose. And um you know, Sarah. I give a lot of credit to Sarah Koenig. She's the um, the um, This American Life reporter who right. who did the series. You know, she she's a very um, she's very good at getting people to talk and making people feel comfortable. And you know, she she worked on this with a team. I think for more than a year. Um, so they slowly they were able to get the family to open up and to participate and Um, you know, the, the, the family was willing to, to do what they had to do to help, help their son. You know, Um, they, they love him and, you know, he's, he's, um, you know, he's what keeps everyone in their family going and they, they do everything for him. Um, They 100% believe in his innocence and, and they always have, and they've always been with him and they always will. And if, you know, participating in a podcast or a documentary, if um, if we feel that it's going to help him, then they're going to be willing to do it.
0: It really is, at least in my mind, the greatest podcast of all time and kind of the thing that set off innumerable other similar such things.
1: Yeah, no, it, it was amazing. Um, you know, I, I remember it and i I didn't really participate in the podcast, sure um, because we you know we, I, I didn't know what it was I didn't know if, you know if, how good of an idea that would be. Um, and I didn't really know what a podcast was all that much. and you know I, I just remember though as it as it started snowballing and, and just getting bigger and bigger and um, you know like i I wasn't even listening to it right away, you know I'd, it would come out on like, I forget what day of the week it would come out, like let's say a Wednesday. Um, I might check it out on Sunday night, but then it just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, You know, one morning, I I remember waking up on a Sunday morning um, and they had just done a spoof of cereal on Saturday Night Live. I remember
0: it. I remember it.
1: Um, And, you know, I've got young kids, at home, so I don't I don't stay up quite late enough to, to watch Saturday Night Live, but um, you know was, I think someone texted me the the clip or something the next morning, and I was like, oh my God, this is this is really getting big, and um, and and then I remember it just so happened after I had watched that that um, that my client called me on the phone, you know, so here I am explaining him, you know, like you were on. They had someone impersonating you on Saturday Night Live last night, so it was pretty incredible what the, um, what that podcast did, and um, how you know it it sort of invigorated that that whole medium. Um, and it also did a lot for our case, you know. It, it it really helped us, and it helped us find it helped us get in touch with our alibi witness. You know, it was because of Serial that we were able to. Um, Start to talk to Asia McLean and eventually bring her to court.
0: I kind of remember that from listening to it at the time. My kids turned me on to it, and I thought this was a really cool thing. And it's interesting the net effect it, it seemed to have even on on the courts, really.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it, it it and and the the thing that I I always felt about it, and I guess you know, perhaps I was. I was proven wrong, Um, but I've always believed in, in transparency and that in in a case like this, when you have a client who um, to me is innocent, the more light you shine on the case, um, the greater your chances of succeeding are, are going to be. Um, You know, what happens in a lot of these, Post convictions is the case gets swept under the carpet, and even though your client might be innocent or even though your client might deserve a new trial, um, the judges, by and large, they don't want to deal with it. You know, sure. it's, it's an old case and there's boxes and boxes of old documents and transcripts. It's much easier for them to just sweep it under the rug and and you know deny the post conviction. And, you know, so some the, the defendant spends the rest of their life in prison, they die in prison, and everyone forgets about it. Um, I always thought that if there is some transparency and if everybody's watching, then the judges are, are going to be forced to be 100% intellectually honest. Um, and that, that if they do that, and if they're 100% intellectually honest, um, that we're gonna win because to me the alibi issue was just so strong um, and and the case law supporting it was so strong that you know we we can't lose that the The more people that know about this, the more people that watch it, you know the the truth is going to come out. Um, so that's that was you know that was my philosophy throughout. that's why we agreed to do the podcast. that's why we agreed to do the HBO documentary. I was going to ask um, you
0: about that. Did did that provide any any light on things that the podcast had not?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it did, and um, it didn't produce the smoking gun that, that we had been hopeful it would produce. You know, I mean, we they, they couldn't they couldn't. You know, the the thing about this case is that. Um, The state, I don't think, has ever really proved Adnan's guilt. Um, And alternatively, we haven't been able to prove his innocence. So it's kind of in in this... Not your
0: obligation, however.
1: Exactly. Yeah, absolutely right. Thanks for bringing that up. Hmm. Um, But, you know, one of... So, for example... You know, one of the things that occurred in in the documentary, among you know, there's like maybe four or five things that added, um, y- you know, to that advantaged our side. Um, but there was um, some interaction with with kind of the state's star witness a- against Syed, and you know, he he seemed to sort of you know indicate that ah, uh, you know, some of that stuff was made up and. Different some different versions of his story emerged, and um, so I, I think it it really added to um, the discrediting of of the state's kind of their their one and only witness um, who won the trial for them, and um, so I, th- I think that was a pretty big deal. But unfortunately, um, you know that that information came at a time when, you know, where, where you have a great challenge getting that before a court somehow.
0: Well, it's sort of like the ship has sailed on that. It did seem like at the trial, he was wildly inconsistent in what he said and was, you know, effectively cross-examined, notwithstanding Ms. Gutierrez's uh, illness.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, he, that, that's true. He, he was wildly inconsistent, um, and he made, you know, huge blunders at at the trial Um but you know, and then, then making it even more frustrating. Since then, he's given other um, wildly inconsistent statements. So, I think when you when you look at that witness's whole body of work, um, you see someone who's incredibly discredited, and whose testimony should not be the the primary basis for a, a conviction. You know, you're you're talking about a juvenile. Um, who's sentenced to life, and to to uphold the conviction based on Jay Wilds, um, I don't think that's justice.
0: I do agree, and I have a feeling the audience feels much the same way. One of the things Jerry Buting had said about making a murderer is that as much as he and Dean had put tremendous effort into the case, uh, having millions of people watch things on TV, they picked up on things that you know, simply it was impossible for two humans to do. Did you find that there were things that were picked up on by the podcast or the show that had been lost on Ms. Gutierrez and subsequently lost on you?
1: Yeah, I mean, a- absolutely. And I think the um, the, the most uh, obvious example is some, something you mentioned earlier. I think I got sidetracked and sure. I never talked about it. But um, one of the one of the critical um, findings of sort of outside investigators was that a, uh, a um, blogger and podcaster named Susan Simpson um, discovered some language on a fax cover sheet that accompanied the telephone records that were used at trial. So um, one of the things the state did at trial was that they used these AT&T telephone records to put Syed at the location where the body was found um, the, the evening when when Heyman Lee went missing, when the victim went missing. Sure. So it was these, these old AT&T telephone records that the state argued, you know, it proved that Syed was at the burial site. Um, Susan Simpson, while, you know, pouring through the documents, found a, an instruction sheet that had accompanied those telephone records, and the instructions, she said that essentially that you can't use these records to determine location for an incoming call. Um, so the calls that had supposedly put Syed at the burial site were both incoming calls. And AT&T, when they produced those documents, you know, they, they basically put a warning on them like, hey, these aren't reliable for incoming calls. You can't use these calls to determine someone's location if they're incoming calls. So, um, you know, this was a gigantic issue. And, um, you know, no one had spotted it before then. I hadn't spotted it. Um, And, you know, it it was the scrutiny of all these other people um, that that turned it up. And that was actually the ground upon which the conviction was first um, reversed or it was first vacated by Judge Welch. That ended up flip-flopping in the appellate courts. Um, and eventually the appellate courts reached the conclusion that because we had not raised that issue earlier, it was it was waived. Um, which even though seems it ridiculous. Was legitimate... Yeah, I know. I know. It, it's it's heartbreaking that they said, you know, based on a technicality, because this wasn't raised at an earlier opportunity, we don't care about it. Um, we don't care that that this kid was convicted and sentenced to life based on these this faulty evidence, which AT and said was faulty. Um, we don't care about that. We don't care about getting to the truth of the matter. Um, they they. They threw that issue out on a technicality, which, um, you know, it's, it's disturbing to me. We, we like to think that our, our criminal justice system and our courts are designed to, to get to the truth. Um, well, th- this is an example where um, perhaps there's an opportunity to get to the truth, but instead of doing that, um, they chose to throw out the issue based on a technicality.
0: And just so our audience doesn't get its hopes up as we wind up the show, uh, this isn't stuff that's going to be before the United States Supreme Court, is it?
1: No. If, um, if cert is granted at the Supreme Court, then only the alibi issue will will be up at the Supreme Court. Um, you know, that, that was our, our strongest issue um, and, and I should say, we, we, we have a very strong CERT petition. So while I recognize that, it, that it's a long shot um, for it to be granted, we've got a great petition um, focused on the alibi issue. Um, we have amicus briefs that have been filed. And from our the, audience
0: won't know what that is, if you could just very briefly explain.
1: Right. So, so these sort of these national groups that are not part of the case are urging the Supreme court to take the case. They've, they have written to the court as, as quote, friends of the court. um, And, and they're saying to the Supreme court, you know, please take this court. We, we think this is extremely important and it's extremely important to us. And it's extremely important to the whole criminal justice system. And, um, you know, we've gotten these, these letters of support or these petitions, um, these technically they are called amicus curate petitions. Um, we've gotten them from the National Association of Criminal Defense Attorneys. We've got them from the national, actually international, Innocence Network. Um, and we also got one from a, a group of about, I think it's about 35 um, exonerees, pe- people who were... Um, sentenced to life in prison, but who were exonerated. Um, so all of, you know, these sort of, um, these groups are, are begging the Supreme court, you know, please take up our case.
0: So when is that decision likely to be made?
1: There's, there's still some more, um, briefing going on. Okay. Um, I, I think once once that's completed, it should be a number of months till we find out.
0: So it's likely our audience can look to 2020 for a decision on whether the Supreme Court will consider this case. Correct?
1: I think that's right. Yes.
0: Well, I believe that's all the time we have. I'd very much like to thank Justin Brown for appearing on the show today.
1: Thanks. I, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's 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 always um, it's fun and sometimes bittersweet talking about these things. But um, I, I enjoyed being on. Thanks for having
0: me. Certainly. Bud. This has been Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Farewell.
1: Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.